0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 12 through 14. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi everybody, welcome to our Genesis discussion tonight on chapters 15, 16, and 17. Starts like this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, I want to talk about Eleazar a minute. That's not who the Lord's plan is, as we know. But he is in the Targum. I found him this week. He is Eleazar, son of Nimrod. Remember Nimrod? Nimrod was Noah's great grandson. He was the first Nimrod. But there have been many others after, including Eleazar of Damascus, who is the servant of Abram. And remember what the Nimrods were, skillful hunters. In Genesis 10, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, like a Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. So according to the Targum, Eleazar, of Damascus was the son of Nimrod and remember last week when Abram there were five five kings fighting four kings Remember, Melchizedek was one of them. Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, Lot, and he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and he went in pursued as far as Dan. And some people asked me, Sharon, why 318? Why did Abram take 318 men? And I said, I don't know, because he did, you know? But they said, but you said numbers mean something always. What What is it? And I said, I don't know. But I know now, because in the Targum, the the rabbi writes, that Eleazar's name, Eleazar of Damascus, in the Hebrew gematria, the the counting, Eleazar of Damascus equals 318, 318. And so the Lord asked Abram to take Eleazar of Damascus only to go fight the kings. And, and, And Abram the, the rabbi writes, Abram hedged his bets and took 318, took Eleazar with him, but also brought 318 of his trained, skillful soldiers in the line of Nimrod. So I just thought that was just a fun little detail. Thank you. Thank you, rabbis. Now we continue, but Abram said, O oh, Lord God, what will you give me? I continue, childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Well, this is a problem for Abram right? He's getting old and God keeps saying he's gonna have children as numerous as the stars in the sand and, and he has no one. And his wife is barren and he thought maybe this could come through Eleazar. The Lord God takes him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be like all those stars in the heaven again. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness Now, this is during the day that this is happening because later in the chapter, the sun sets. And so when God takes him outside and shows him all the stars, it's in the light of day and Abram can see them. We go outside and are the stars there at noon? Yes. They didn't go anywhere, but the brightest star, the sun is obscuring our vision. We don't see the stars when the sun is out. And so God is showing Abram something that even though you can't see it right now, I'm going to give you stars. What does uh, Paul tell the Romans? For what does scripture say? Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What then will we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, he brought him outside and showed him the stars in the daylight. Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord. That was quite a miracle. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to Abram, bring me a heifer three years old a she-goat three years old a ram three years old three 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 the divine number times three 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 and a turtle dove and a pigeon and he brought them and he cut them into two and laid each half over against the other but he did not cut the birds in two. Now to us, this sounds like what in the world is happening? But in the, in these times, in these ancient times, this was a blood covenant in the Middle East. This is how they made a blood covenant, bloody animal carcasses on the ground, three of them split in half opposing each other. The, dr- the blood is draining down into the middle. And in Abraham's time, this wouldn't have been so strange because this is how it was done. It's called a blood covenant. And what it means, both parties, walk through the blood and it means if one of these parties breaks this solemn oath then do to me as these animals split me in half and drain my blood kill me if i break this oath that's how solemn it is this is a covenant this is a blood covenant and this one is way more than meets the eye i love this picture where both god and abraham are standing in a pool of blood and god is showing him far into the future what the final blood sacrifice will be you see jesus on the cross The parties involved would walk through the path between the slaughters animals and they would say, may this be done to me if I do not keep my end of the oath. This specific blood covenant is also known as the Abrahamic covenant. The blood involved in this covenant as with any blood covenant signifies the life, the life from which the blood comes, Leviticus 17. Moses will offer blood sacrifice. And what about this time in Exodus 4 when Moses has just seen the burning bush and he and Zipporah are going to go back to Egypt and free God's people? Zipporah, his wife, the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. What? he just appeared in the burning bush and now the the Lord's going to kill him. Do you remember this obscure thing? Some are shaking their heads. Uh, Zipporah took a flint and cut her son's foreskin and touched Moses's feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Moses had not circumcised his own two sons. He had gone away from egypt he was living in midian on his own he had killed a man remember he's fleeing and he's married this woman now he's met her at the wells of pora and she to avoid the lord killing moses has to cut the foreskin of the boys and put put it on moses and said you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision so i was thinking of blood covenants in the bible and we think of the marriage covenant is there blood in the marriage covenant this was the primordial covenant, Adam and Eve, the very first sacrament in the Bible, is there blood? Yes, there is. And in ancient Jew- Jewish weddings, the best man would listen at the door for the consummation, and then he himself had to go in and gather the bedsheets and they would have blood on them, right? Because it's a marriage and it's in a, it's a sealed blood covenant between the couple and God. And so marriage is a blood covenant. So this that Abraham is performing here is a blood covenant. It's a sacrifice. It is... Uh, being taught by God. God is, this is his pedagogy. He's teaching how to do this, but the lives of animals would never remove sin. The life of an animal will not be a sufficient substitute for human life. And all of these things were copies or shadows of the covenant to come, Hebrews tells us. And the blood of bulls and goats is a temporary appeasement until the final ultimate blood covenant was made by Jesus Christ himself. Without the shedding of his blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin. And God had that in his mind's eye before the beginning of time. The new covenant would be in the blood of Jesus Christ, the God-man. So the Lord said to Abraham, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a she-goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, three, 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 turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought them all, cut them in two, laid half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Why? Why? And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Last time we saw a carry-on, a bird of prey, it was on the ark when the raven was sent out and never came back to the symbolic church, remember? Now the birds of prey are coming down, trying to stop this sacrifice. They'd like to pick off these carcasses and 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 fly off with them. Abraham's driving them away. He does not have to kill the turtle dove and or the pigeon. In Leviticus one, those are called uh, the the burnt offering of birds. Then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of pigeons, and the priest would bring it to the altar, wring off its head, burn it on the altar. The blood will be drained down the side of the altar, and he shall take. Away its crop with the feathers cast it beside the altar on the east side place it in the ashes he shall tear it by its wings but shall not divide it asunder hmm interesting two turtle doves or two pigeons if you can't afford a lamb for the guilt offering, you could bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, For one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And who does that? Joseph and Mary. They can't afford the lamb when they bring the baby into Simeon for the presentation. But Mary has the lamb in her arms. But they will offer the poor man's offering, the two turtle doves or two pigeons. Okay. As the sun is going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. That's curious. The Lord said to Abram, know of a surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not their own, and they will be slaves there, and they will be oppressed there for 400 years. The sun is going down, a deep sleep falls on Abram. So now we see the sun is going down. So he's seen the stars earlier. Now the sun is going down. Earlier in the chapter, he had the vision where the stars were were there. That's what faith is. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Abraham can't see these kids. He has no idea how God's going to do this. But God says, have faith, have trust, I'm showing you. It it will happen. The stars are still there even when we don't see them by day. So this dread and great darkness falls on Abram. God says your descendants will be in captivity for 400 years. Did God's words come true? God's words always come true. They will be oppressed for 400 years. Well, Genesis is going to end with the patriarch Joseph. And then the next book will be Exodus. So That begins with Moses. So... At the time of Moses, Exodus chapter one, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Behold, these people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and more befall us. They were multiplying prolifically, the people of God. And they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And so the people of Israel served with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work. All the work they did to serve them with rigor. So they are being oppressed in a foreign land where they have sojourned. Just as Abraham was told by God, God told him, know for certain that your descendants are going to be oppressed for 400 years. And in Exodus 2, we hear this. God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel and he knew their condition. The time that the people of Israel dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So God is true to his word. And Paul also recounts it in his letter to the Galatians when he says, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. God as to make the promise void. God's eternal covenant with Abram is true. Going back to Genesis now, the Lord says to Abram, I will bring judgment on the nation which they serve. So God's going to bring judgment on Egypt. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Did they have great possessions? Yes, they had lots of gold. Remember, and silver bangles that, and listen to this, what he told Moses in Exodus three at the burning bush, I'm going to give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when they go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and of her who sojourns in her house, jewelry of silver and gold and clothing. You'll put them on your sons and your daughters. Thus you shall despoil the Egyptians. So after 430 years, they leave very wealthy. As for yourself, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So Abram will buy a grave. We'll see this. He'll buy Machpelah, the land in Hebron, and it's still there to this day. You can visit it in the West Bank, and this is where all the patriarchs and their wives are buried, but not Rachel. She's buried on the road outside of Bethlehem that she she died in childbirth having benjamin we'll, we'll study that when the sun had gone down and it was dark behold a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces what in the world is going on a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces abraham is put into a deep dark sleep a foreboding of darkness comes over him and god alone will pass through the carcasses this covenant does not depend on sinful man. It is 100% fully dependent on God to accomplish this, right? On that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham. To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the kenizzites the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigasites, and the Jebusites, all the sites. And you know whose people they are? Our genealogy, the Table of Nations in Genesis 10, we know they come from Ham's line, Cana, from the incest with Mrs. Noah. That's this line. They are occupying the land of Canaan, the promised land. Canaan became the father of Sidon. You remember Sidon in the Bible? And also, extended from Sidon to Gerar, as far as Gaza, and and in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Canaan's land. Canaan has the curse, and this is the land God says Abraham's going to get forever with all his inheritance. Okay, so now we see in chapter 16, Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children to this very day. Sarai had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my maid. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of his wife. (laughs) An interesting word there, you know, and the artwork is interesting. Abram hearkened to the voice of this. Stop! 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 Stop, Abram, stop, right? What if Abram would have said, no, Sarai, no, we must trust God Almighty. We must trust God's plan. We cannot take matters into our own hands. I heard the voice of God Almighty. He showed me the vision for us. It includes you, Sarah, my own seed through your womb, Sarah. This is your plan, not God's plan. No way. Do not put your husband to the test. What if he would have said that? Everything would have been different. That's not what he said. He hearkened. (laughs) Just as Eve offered Adam forbidden fruit, Sarai will offer Abram forbidden fruit. Adam accepted the forbidden fruit from Eve. Abram accepts the forbidden fruit from Sarai. Both men succumb to the temptation offered by their very own wives. Now, the men were the head of the household. But the women with the neck and the neck can turn the head any way she pleases, right? Women have a lot of power, especially if we use it correctly. Abram is passive. This is passivity. So was Adam. Both Adam and Abram had talked directly to God. They had these incredible times with the Lord where they spoke one-on-one with God directly. They knew what God said, yet they're passive to act it out. How do you suppose Hagar might have felt? An Egyptian handmaid. She's way down here, they're way up here. The authority differentiation is huge. How do you think Hagar felt? Is this sexual violation or was she a willing participant? Remember when Abram made Sarai sleep with or go to Pharaoh? We don't know what happened. Now, the Egyptian pharaoh. Now an Egyptian maidservant, Sarai is making go to her husband. What comes around goes around, right? Sarai most likely acquired Hagar as a gift from the Egyptian pharaoh when she was objectified for her own beauty. Remember that? Hagar in the Hebrew word here in chapter 16 is called a shifa. It's a type of servant. It's a high servant of a prominent woman who possessed her own household outside of her husband's and she had maidservants servants in charge in her own personal charge. They're a wealthy household. They were given maidservants and menservants from Egypt to get out of there when the plague came. Get out, get out, take these people and go. This is one of her own maidservants. Remember how Mrs. Noah was sexually objectified in Ham's power play. Man objectified woman who he rules over because we now live in a very, very, very fallen world. It was not supposed to be like this. God did not intend this before the fall. Remember it was equal. And after the fall, the curse Or woman, was that your desire is going to be for your husband, but he's going to rule over you. He's going to dominate you. So we have now the objectification of women, but it gets worse in this chapter. Hagar is Sarai's maidservant. So there's a further disorderment. Now, not just one man ruling over woman, but we have the objectification of woman by woman. This is another step. This is, we're going further away from God. This is further east. The objectification of woman by woman. It's not like team woman anymore. Now we have two women at it. Sarai is going to use Hagar, objectify Hagar, to get a baby that she wants for herself and her husband. I looked up objectify, to treat another as an object. Hagar is being objectified by both Abram and his wife, Sarai. Hagar is going to be treated as an object. They want to use her womb and then discard her and take the child, right? Hagar will be used by both Sarai and Abram. Well, she's just having a baby for them. That's not so bad, right? Just having a baby, no big deal, right? It's a huge deal to God and to the church. Let me read you what Catechism 2376 says, techniques that entail the disassociation of husband and wife by the intrusion of a person other than the couple, a donation of sperm or ovum or a surrogate uterus, are gravely immoral. These techniques, artificial insemination and fertilization, infringe the child's right to be born of a father and mother known to him and bound to each other by marriage. They betray the spouses the right to become father and mother only through each other. That's very important, and it's very important now because surrogacy is... Crazy right now. I don't know if you know it. I just did a quick Google search on surrogacy and and 34 in this last article by people 34 families who've welcomed children through surrogacy. People want to have kids, but but like like gay couples, straight couples, ev- a lot of people are using surrogacy. They don't want to go through the nine months. They don't want to have the stretch marks. They don't want to have their body shaped. Some are gay and can't conceive and they want a baby. So surrogacy is is exploding right now and this. is similar to what hagar this objectification of woman um using the mother for her womb and then having nothing more to do with her. I watched a quick YouTube, 15 minutes, called Outsourcing Embryos. I was aghast. It is exploding in India, where like couples from the United States send frozen sperm and egg to India, and there are huge uh, like dormitories of women that get implanted and are surrogates for nine months. They all live together, they eat together, and then they have C-sections. What, nine months? Okay, C-section every 15 minutes. Slice them open, get the baby, give to the, get on the airplane, and go next one slice open and they call them baby farms or baby factories and so this is on the rise in Wisconsin we have a pink and blue surrogacy fertility LLC clinic and the bishop Bishop Robert Morlino of Madison Wisconsin is explaining to his flock why surrogacy is a moral evil it's in his diocese and the entire. Process start to finish is in the range of seventy-five thousand to one hundred twenty-five thousand. But you pay for each thing. It's like a list. You check the box what you want. Uh, there's an abortion selective reduction fee. So you implant more fertilized zygotes than you need. Then you can select the ones you want. We want a boy. We want blue eyes. We want you know whatever. And so to abort each and every other extra is another $3,500. Genetic screening, oh, we don't like a baby with that DNA, so get rid of that one another. All these tests and, and maternity clothes allowance, multiple fees for per fetus, you name it. So we haven't learned much. This is Hagar, is, is her womb's being objectified and it's still happening today. God's pedagogy is to teach over time, this is not God's will for human happiness and beatitude. So after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Cana, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she, Hagar, saw that she, Hagar, had conceived, she, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. And I read that several times. It's not the other way around. It's the young young Hagar, now pregnant, is looking with contempt on Sarai. I looked up what contempt is. The feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. Despicable. She has forced young Hagar to lay with this old husband of hers. Sarai could never get pregnant her whole life and Hagar boom pregnant now she has contempt for Sarai the old barren sterile wife who can't give Abram a sole heir and take all the inheritance pregnant hair guy has contempt for sterile Sarai Sarai was in charge of Hagar but now Hagar pregnant with Abram's son and his sole heir who's in charge of who who has contempt for who now there's disharmony in the household between the two women Hagar holds Sarai in contempt you are beneath my consideration you're worthless deserving scorn you're despicable and Sarai says to Abraham may the wrong done to me be on you now she's mad at Abram is this how it works in your house I gave my maid to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived she looked on me with contempt May the Lord judge between you, Abram, and me. Slam the door. Boom. (laughs) Now there's marital unrest. Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power to do with her as you please. There it is, that passivity. You handle it. She's yours. She's your object. You take care of it. Do what you want. Further objectification of woman by both man and woman. Behold, she's your maid. She's your thing. She's in your power. Do as you please. Again, we see that passivity. Then Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar and she fled from her. Now, to see how harshly, what what are some synonyms for treating someone harshly, severe, unkind, cruel, unpleasant, abusively. It must have been pretty bad for a pregnant woman with morning sickness and, and everything that comes with it to want to flee. It is so bad with Sarai that Hagar must leave the camp. That was part one of the book of Genesis, chapters 15 through 17 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.